0: Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit now to open your precious word. You wrote this book, every, every word of it, and it's a living book. And if we hear today by revelation and receive with faith, it will bring life to us. Would you open it to each of us? Come, Holy Spirit, and I ask for the grace to speak so that we hear you through all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to talk today about the community of the covenant. I talked to you, if you recall, about the blood of the covenant. Anybody remember that? We looked at the new covenant and the old covenant. Remember that? Well, that's the first eight verses of chapter 24. When you talk about the new covenant of the, of, in the New Testament, actually, that's the new, new covenant. That's uh, what the New Testament means. Uh, you're talking about a New Testament which replaces the the covenant that was formed in the first eight verses of verse t- of chapter 24. That's the old covenant that's replaced. And so we saw how that was formed and we saw the, how the, the blood was splashed on the people and how the blood was splashed on the altar. Do you remember that? How the blood of a covenant is different than the blood of a sacrifice. The blood of a sacrifice is uh, calling for mercy, but the blood of a covenant was actually a self-imposed curse in which you said, so shall it be to me if I break this covenant. Remember that? this are ancient uh, covenants. This is not only true in the Bible, but this kind of covenant thing was a was a standard practice in ancient societies. Uh, kings would do it with other kings. I mean, this is not just a biblical thing. It was the way they communicated. And God took that very format and he talked to them in covenant terms. So it they all understood what I'm telling you. This is not some mystical deal. I'm just trying to take you back 3,500 years, say this is what it meant. This is what, when they did this, this is what they understood it to mean. We're going to look at only three verses today, uh, verses 9, 10, and 11 of chapter 24, but they're very odd verses. And if you don't know what's going on, it, you, you look at that and go, what is that? And I think you'll find today that it's a great blessing and it's actually a prophetic word to us. Uh, And yet, we need to to understand what it means. A covenant is fundamentally a commitment to a new relationship. Say it again. A covenant is fundamentally a commitment to a new relationship. Something new happens after a covenant is formed. After a covenant has been formed, a brand new relationship exists. Let me stop there for a second. One of the covenant formats that we still have in modern society is the marriage. A wedding is a covenant. And you have two people stand there and in the presence of witnesses, solemnly vow to one another to keep these promises to one another. They do it before God. God is the one who will enforce this covenant. Two people, two single people walk into that service. But by the end of the service, a new family has been formed, right? One of the the last things that you do at at, at the closing of a a wedding is is, uh, I get to say, it is my privilege to introduce to you, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. and Mrs. whatever. And we now have what was two individuals. We have a family that's been formed and I get the privilege of introducing or whoever's uh, officiating, of introducing a new family. This is the first time The community has seen this new family. So something brand new is formed through covenant. And it was being done here as well. Those who have taken part in the ceremony have been bonded together like members of a family. And one of the most ancient ways of expressing this new level of love and trust was to eat a meal together. So covenant ceremonies were followed by covenant meals. Covenant ceremony was followed by a covenant meal. The meal expressing the new reality that had just been formed by covenant, you see? Somehow, the very act of breaking bread together has always conveyed an acceptance of one another. When we eat a meal together, we tend to relax, drop our defenses, and open our hearts. That's why a powerful part of a covenant ceremony was the meal both parties ate together afterwards. It was a statement saying, all our divisions and distrust are gone. Now we belong to each other like family. In this sense, forming a covenant was like adopting someone into your family. Now, let me read those three verses. uh, Well, let me just, I'm going to just tell you the first eight verses. Uh, Verse, uh, chapter 24, it starts out, and the Lord calls Aaron and Moses, and Aaron's, Oldest sons who are also going to be priests with him. And 70 of the elders. So you have the religious leadership of Israel going up Mount Sinai to have this conversation with God. The covenant is about to be formed. This is the first time they all go up there. By the way, Mount Sinai is in northwestern Saudi Arabia. It's still there. The mountain is there. Uh, it's blackened on top. Indeed there's a cave just as Elijah, if you recall, was in, There's a cave is there. And there's a bowl shaped area up in the top. I was really pleased to see, uh, I just was reading uh, this past week, I think it was, that one of the foremost biblical scholars, uh, a professor at Harvard, he says, Mount Sinai's in northwestern Saudi Arabia. It is not down in the Sinai Peninsula, the old traditional thing. The mountain's still there, in fact, there's still stone pillars around the thing. And there's a stone altar. And it's got carvings on it, and, and a whole bit. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, the Lord just kind of let it be overlooked and, 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 uh, and forgotten. So these nobles went up into this mountain bowl, and then it says Moses was to go, and he, he stepped forward alone over toward the cloud, and the Lord talked to him, and then he came back, and he reported to them what the Lord had said. And he, it was be the Ten Commandments, And then chapters 21, 22, and 23 of Exodus, which form what's called the the book of the covenant. That's the heart of things. And he read it to them, and the elders of Israel all said, I'll I'll read it word for word here, verse 3, all the words which the Lord has spoken we will do. So the religious leaders say, we'll do it. We will enter into this covenant. We will agree to live by these standards. I don't think anybody assumed that everybody be perfect But they were committing to this to be their standards. They would be loyal to God and they would seek to fulfill those standards. So Moses then wrote down all the words. That's why we have them. He wrote them down. And then he built an altar with 12 pillars so that all the tribes knew they were involved in this. And then he had young men go out and sacrifice bulls. He took the blood and half of it he sprinkled where? On the altar. The altar represented... God, so God's in this covenant, two parties in this covenant, God's getting blood sprinkled on him and the other half of the blood he put in bowls and he took and he sprinkled who? All the people. Can you imagine sprinkling two million people? I mean, you have the arms of Jose Canseco without the steroids. (laughs) Man, that's a lot of sprinkling. You would would have tendonitis. So anyhow, he sprinkled the whole, I suppose he had help. He sprinkled the whole nation. And what did the blood mean? So be it to me if I should break my covenant. Imagine that. God allowing that blood to be splashed on him so that he's saying, I will be destroyed if I break my word to you. Wow. And then the people saying the same. So now we have a covenant that's been formed. Here we go. Verse 9. Let's see what happens next. Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel, back up second time. They've been up the mountain, down the mountain, splashed the blood on the, on the people on the altar. Went Now they're back up on the top of the mountain. Verse 10, And they saw the God of Israel, and under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire, as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles, of the sons of Israel. He didn't kill them for being in his presence. And they saw God, and then what did they do? Ate and drank. Ate and drank. Now, what are they having, a picnic? <laughs> what is going on? Isn't that strange? I mean, if, if we didn't understand what, that, what these, these things meant, it, it looks really weird. They're up on the mountain, they see God, and they, they eat and drink. What is this? Now that I've told you some of this, what do you think they were doing? They were having a fellowship meal. This is part of the covenant. The covenant's been formed. They're now back up the mountain, and in the presence of the Lord, they are celebrating a new spiritual family. God is their father. They are his people. They were the descendants of Abraham, physically, but they are now a spiritual family in covenant with the living God, and they celebrate it and Honor it by eating together in the Lord's presence. At first glance, the passage we're reading today seems odd and out of place. What are these elders doing at the top of Mount Sinai, eating and drinking before God? But once we recognize this to be a normal part of ancient covenant ceremonies, we discover a profound spiritual statement is being made. A new spiritual family has been formed with God as its father. He has adopted Israel and committed to love them. And they have committed to love and be loyal to him as well as to one another. So this strange meal on the mountain suddenly becomes a prophetic voice calling us today as the people of a new covenant to be the family of God. Let me ask the obvious question. If the old covenant produced a spiritual family, if it brought a new spiritual entity into being in which people were were in, in a deep, Fellowship with God and with one another. Remember the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments taught us how to love who. Second, six commandments teach us how to love who. One another. They stood there and swore they would love God with all their heart and their neighbor as their themselves. You see, it's a it's horizontal, and it's vertical. This new relationship is with God and with one another. There's a family formed. If the old covenant would form a family like that, how much more? What kind of family would the new covenant form? Today, this table, we're going to drink the cup of the new covenant. You and I, through Jesus Christ, are people of a new covenant, a better covenant, a more, rem- a, a, a vastly more remarkable covenant. If the old covenant called us to be a family, if it called us to love one another, if a new entity and a new relationship and a new bond formed out of the old covenant, how much more will the new covenant form such a, uh, a family for us? What did they see when they were on the mountain? Well, they saw... The Lord himself standing or maybe sitting on a throne on clear pavement. I'm not going to take time to d- develop it at all. I'll give you some verses if you're interested at, about that clear pavement. The interesting thing particularly is that you will one day stand on it. I'll show you later on a, a, a prophetic picture of the future and you'll be there. You're just there off to the right. And you'll be there standing on that In that case, it's called the Sea of Glass. He'll be standing on that pavement. Who was it that they saw there? You know, John 1.18 says, no one has seen God at any time. Now, does that seem like a little conflict here? No one has seen God at any time, and here they are looking at him. And how do you put those things together? Well, John really goes on and answers it with the rest of the verse. He says, no one has seen God at any time, The only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has, actually in the Greek, declared him. He has declared him. People, we have never, humans have never seen the Father. He's spirit. But the person through whom this earth has always been communicated with, that's why he's called the Word, the Logos the one who has always been the speaker, the communicator with planet Earth has been the only begotten God, the Son. And so who is it? Tell me, who is it on that throne, on that, on that pavement like Jasper? It's the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. In that glory, imagine that. glory so powerful that later on, Moses will ask to see it without any limits and God says I can't do that. Uh, Lord Jesus says I can't do that, I'll kill you. I'll fry you like a bug if, if I were to do that. He says what I can do is I'll put you in the little crevice of a rock here and I'll cover you with my hand and you can peek as I pass by and see, uh, see my, the back of me, but I won't let you. I mean, if you saw my face, it'll kill you right now. You can't, you can't handle it. That person, now picture this, that person, Yahweh of hosts, became conceived in a woman's womb in Galilee and was born a man and allowed us to tear his beard out and to spit on him and to pummel his face and to tear the skin off his back and hang him on a cross. When you realize who it was they crucified. It'll take the air out of you. I was just reading, one of you gave me an article on the Shroud of Turin. I mentioned that I believe it's authentic and indeed it's being proved out to be so uh, at every turn. But one of the things that broke my heart in this article that you gave me is they they mentioned how doctors were examining the Shroud and uh, one comment was that it appears that The nose was broken free from his face. So he was beaten so badly in the face that they literally broke his nose free. This Lord that's sitting on that throne on the pavement of of, uh, like Jasper, clear, there's some clear translucent material in heaven, with the glory of heaven about him, became one of us. He who was, had the blood splashed on him, who had a right to take, our, take us and cast us into hell and destroy us forever, who had a right to destroy these people who violated his covenant so flagrantly, rather than send us to hell, he became one of us and allowed our punishment to come on him. He bore it all so that he could save some. He won't save everybody. Not everybody by any means is going to heaven. In fact, he says, Narrows the way, and few are they that find it. But he would save some, and his great love, his great heart, is such that it's worth it to have you. And so he endures all the suffering and evil that he sees left and right, day by day and moment by moment. He endures it all because having you is worth it to him. They ate and drank in the Lord's presence. Probably a peace offering. Why did, what did it mean? Well, the, a new covenant community had been formed. The descendants of Abraham were now bonded into a spiritual family with God as its father. I want to take you forward now. Would you turn to cha- uh, Luke chapter 22? And I want you to see the kind of covenant community that the Lord wants for us. Chapter 22 of Luke, beginning at verse 14, we're in the upper room the night that the Lord was arrested and the things that I described began. Verse 14 says, When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. It's a Passover meal they're taking. This table in front of us is the remnants, as it were, the portions which he handed out of that Passover meal. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on, and then notice this strange phrase, until the kingdom of God comes. He says, this is my last night. I'm not going to... I am not going to ever take this meal with you again, at least not until the kingdom of God comes. And there's this hint in it, there's this illusion this, this that he says, someday we'll do this again. Someday we're going to have this, a me, this meal together again. And then it says, verse 19, when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup. Did you notice it was on the bread and the cup? Bread in verse 16, cup in verse 18. He says, I'll do this again. I'll do this again. Then in the same way, he took the cup after he had e- they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. He was establishing the new covenant, and the blood of this covenant was his Not ours, no splashing on us. He alone would pour out his blood for this covenant. The day will come when you and I will have a great covenant meal. We will celebrate this covenant with a meal as well. As a family, just like those nobles on the Mount and we also, only this time, we'll actually be on that great pavement of glass, that great sea of glass, around the Lord. And you're going to hear us singing and shouting. And we are really good at that point. It sounds like ocean waves roaring on the beach. It, it sounds like thunder. Because there's billions of us. And we're going to say, hallelujah. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad. And then he'll take. I don't know what we're gonna have for dinner. But I know part of it'll be. He'll take the bread with those hands that the fathers allowed the scars to remain. And he'll break that bread. And he'll pass it to us. And he'll say, Take heed. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The day will come, you mark my words, when you yourself will stand on that sea of glass and he will serve you your covenant meal. For you are a family, a new family. And it's called the marriage supper of the lamb. We have been formed into such a bond as a husband and wife become one flesh. We're his body. He's our head. We are joined to him and now the Lord will be joined to his body forever. We are no longer separated from him but now we are with him forever. And he'll take the cup and he'll say, take drink. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Let's describe for a minute the kind of Family, he wants. John chapter 17. This chapter is called the High Priestly Prayer, and the Lord is praying really privately to the Father, but He did it so they could hear, and thank heavens, John wrote it down. And so we get to listen to this remarkable prayer. Verse 11. Is, is, is where I'll pick up. The Lord praying to the Father says, I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves, the disciples, are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be, what? One, One even as we are. Now, um, He says that he wants a family, a covenant family. The new covenant is to produce a people who love each other like the father and son love one another. Now, how are we doing? I mean, it's it's, it's downright embarrassing when you put it in those terms, isn't it? I mean, it's like, whoa. You've got to be kidding. Can that even happen? And yet the Lord... The Lord tells us that when you pray according to his will, he hears us, and when he hears us, we have the petition which we ask of him. How many would think that Jesus is praying according to the Father's will? And he's asked that you and I be one, even as he and the Father are one. Now, I realize that right now I'm probably making you uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable, too. The American culture is increasingly an isolated culture, particularly among the Anglos. We have a hard time being married. We have a hard time raising our children. We have a hard time with family in any form. Even the word family for many people is an uncomfortable concept. It has long since lost its allure. We are not thinking family is a wonderful thing. Family is an uncomfortable thing. Somebody made the comment to me just recently, they said you can pick your you can pick your friends, but you're stuck with your family. And, it, and it's just like, well, you know, I got a bunch of unpleasant people I can't get away from because I'm related to them. That's kind of the concept a lot of people have. And so when you suddenly hear him talk about this, that you and I are to be family to each other and to love each other with that kind of love, thoughts go through your head, I'll bet I don't have time for this one. I'm way too busy. And frankly, I'm not sure I like these people that much that I would want to be one with them. Some people say, well, when I find a church where people are really mature and and really worthy of my love, then I'll love them like that. And of course, once you got there, it wouldn't be that way anymore. Anyhow, you know, that's a cynical remark. I'm just being funny. When I was young, I, I used to say this, I really did. I'd say, Lord, I love you, but I don't like your people. And it was true. I really, for the most part, I didn't like a lot of the Christians that I'd met. And so, because I was better than they were and, uh, and far, far more righteous. You can kind of get a little bit of the odor that was uh, coming up from my prayers. And one day the Lord really stopped me short. And it was, it was not audible, but it was one of those words that was prophetic and right to me and I was stopped in my tracks. I knew he was talking to me. And I, in the middle of one of those statements, he said, I don't ever want to hear that again. He said, I, I don't think it's funny. And he said, I love my people and I'm tired of your comments. And it was <laughs> right there. I, I, I got the point. And what he wanted from me is an attitude, a decision, a choice to quit judging people and love them. Some of us will say, Pastor, I have been hurt by Christians. Oh, tell me about it. I'm so sorry. I used to be an angel until the backbiters ate my wings off. It's an old joke. It's a decision. And I think what I hope that happens today, I think what the Lord wants today, because I've got to admit, this, is, this was a tough subject. I hit this thing and I thought, oh man. I, I, I realized I hardly understood it. I feel like the Lord just wants to sort of rain onto our hearts and soften us. And it's not a matter of scolding or pushing or any kind of thing like that. It's a it's a decision every one of us will make, where we simply decide to love. I admit you cannot go to a. I cannot suggest that you go to a church and submit and open your heart and involve where there's lack of integrity, there's dishonesty or impurity. I mean, it's being flagrantly going on. There are six situations in churches. I know that, and I would encourage you to flee those. (laughs) But not that isn't fair to say that every church is like that. They aren't by any means. And you can, if you're critical, find something wrong with any group you go to. If you don't, I will. I'll help you, you know? And I'll tell you what's wrong with them. I'll tell you what's wrong with them. Actually, I won't, but I mean, you can find a strong point and a weak point in anybody you find. And so finally, it comes this point where you decide to settle down. And simply love, because the kind of, and I'll use the word koinonia, and I'll explain it a little later, but it means that family love, that he's what he wants for us. That has to get worked out with real people, with live people. You can't say, well, I'm, I'm part of the body of Christ, universal. Yeah, we'll give you a, you know, what do you want? A spa- uh, you're like a space cadet or something when you talk like that. Want a decoder ring or what? Now, if you're going to be part of the church, if you're going to be part of the body of Christ, it means you get in and you mix it up with other Christians. In situations that are small enough for you to know them and them to know you, to pray for you, to, for you to pray for them, to find out their weaknesses and them to find out yours. And Some of us feel, well, if they won't like me if they get to know me. If we're really Christians, yes, we will. We choose to overlook those things and to be patient with each other. It's not about what do I get out of it. Some people won't go to a meeting if they aren't going to get something out of it. Now, is that American or what? It's like you're buying a product. The church is not a product. It's not a religious theater. The church is you being called into the new covenant and me being called into the new covenant as a family and I love the Lord, and I worship the Lord, and I grow in the Lord, and I get fed by the Lord, but I'm also called on the horizontal to love and give and serve, and a great deal of my development as a Christian comes by being with people, learning to forgive, learning to be patient, learning to wait, learning to serve, washing feet. That's where a lot of the growth comes. I have never seen a ministry of any form that wasn't basically a, a long-term form of self-sacrifice. The old buzzword was, I'm burned out, meaning I'm finally feeling the pain of ministry and I don't want to do it anymore. But you see, ministry's a choice. Serving is a choice. Loving is a choice. Haven't you learned that in a marriage? it just comes this point where you choose to love and you choose to forgive and you choose to commit and you choose to work it out. You choose to do whatever you have to. And then God forms His family. So here's the Lord saying, I want my people to love one another as Father, you and I have loved each other. In other words, the the very heart of the Trinity, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that great love affair of heaven, is to be extended right into the people of God. Look over at verse 20 of chapter 17 there. He goes on, he says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, just the 12, but for those also in Federal Way, Washington, in the year 2005, who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. He says, "When when the world sees this kind of love, they will believe that I am the Son of God, that I have been resurrected from the dead. They'll know something miraculous has taken place. The world doesn't offer that kind of love, does it? They're friendly, they're polite, but they're always trying to sell you something. Somebody comes up and does something nice for you, and you're waiting for the pitch." We've got a free vacation to the Caribbean. What's in it for, you know, I mean, and you're immediately going, get away from me. Because you know perfectly well they're not giving you something. If they had something that was about value, they'd keep it for themselves. They don't like you. They want your stuff. And so that's the way the world relates. And so when people suddenly come along, and function with true love, it stymies people's arguments. It stymies, it it fuzzes their minds. They don't know what to do with it. One of the things I've noticed each summer, we have these summer missions. It's kind of like extreme makeover church edition. Well, we we go to a church, and we we do that kind of thing. I mean, it's literally very close to, you know, on our level, of what you see with that home edition. And... Hardly a summer has passed, but what we get, a big write-up in the local paper. Now, we never put out press releases or talk to anybody. We never even want it. I don't know how they find out we're there. But summer after summer, bingo, there comes a local papers reporter. And they're interviewing everybody, and then usually it was big deal, (laughs) pictures and all this stuff in the paper. And what gets them? They they ask these questions. They're just a little cynical. Why, why are you doing this? You know, who who paid you? You know, Did the de- denomination send you? You know, kind of thing. And and when here's where I watch their eyes get big, is they, they say, well, you know, who, who's paying for this? And I said, I we I, I'll say if or whoever's talking to them will say, no, everybody here for the most part is taking vacation time, including me, by the way. It's taking vacation time for this. And you see this, you're, you're taking your vacation time to come over here and often in the heat and labor on somebody else's and then why would you do that is, is often the question that comes. Why on earth would you do that? And then of course, we got the moment because we're the family of God and these are our brothers and sisters and we care about this city and we're so glad they're here telling people about Jesus and we want to help them do that we get to say all those things. And why do we get to say it? Because they've seen the love. Sacrificial, costly, sweaty love. A couple more quick examples and I'll, I'll conclude. I want to show you another kind of love that we're to have. Acts chapter 2. Verse 41, this is the f- brand new church. This is his, his, his covenant community, his family. And on the very day of Pentecost, when Peter's preached, this is what happens, verse 41. So then those who had received his word, that'd be Peter's, were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. First day out, 3,000 believers And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the words koinonia, having together in common on a practical level like a family, caring for each other's practical needs like family members do, that's what the word means, to the breaking of bread, meaning they ate together, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. That would be out in the portico of Solomon. The church would gather out in the temple area. There's a huge stone court and thousands of people would gather. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, somebody would be preaching. And then people would hear this and, and uh, they'd start praying for the sick and miracles would happen and then they'd give an altar call and people would get saved out there on that big portico of Solomon. And then afterwards, all the, the Christians would say to people around them, come to my home. Come, And they would come and have dinner In all the many homes. So thousands of people would break into these little groups in homes. And there they would talk about what they'd heard. The apostles teaching. And they would care for one another's practical needs. If they were poor. Or or needed something. Christians were so family that they were. In some cases selling stuff. So that they could have the money. To care for their poor brethren and sister. Now they were family. And so if you're in need I'm going to care for you. And they were. They were eating together and praying together verse 44 describes what i've just said all those who were believed were together and had all things in common they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them as all with all as anyone might have need it's not a communism they were forming it was just a, if somebody saw you in need they they go if they needed to they'd sell something so they could have the money to care for you day by day continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. The Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. It was just like a vortex. People were just getting drawn into this love like crazy. You hardly had to do anything. Just take care of them because they saw such love. And the last one, Revelation chapter 19. Verse 5. So we're to have a family, a community like the one Jesus has with the Father. We're to have a family, a community of love like the loving family of the early church. And now we're going to see this, that we're to have a loving community like we'll have in heaven someday. Church should be a foretaste of heaven. A little bit of eternity should break in. And here I'm going to show you a picture of you uh, singing. Revelation chapter 19, verse 5. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God and all, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. And then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters. That's the waves of the, on, roaring on the beach. And like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad. And give the glory to him. For the marriage of the lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. We're going to have our covenant meal. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen. Bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me. Write blessed are those who are invited. To the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me. These are true words of God. In heaven, we're going to have all the time in the world for each other. No more sin, no more lying, no more injury. We'll have a love for one another that is just amazing. But he wants us to have that beginning now. He wants that to break into this planet. And the table that we're about to, have to eat from is the table of the new covenant. Inviting us not only to have our sins forgiven and to stay in relationship with God, but it's also inviting us to love one another as he has loved us. And for that to happen, we must lay aside excuses, remove barriers, schedule time, be patient with the weaknesses of others, forsake our self-sufficiency, and submit to being a member of the family of God. The old covenant called Israel to be a spiritual family. How much more has the new covenant called us to be the family of God? Not talking about formal membership in anything. It's talking about opening our hearts to one another. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, Please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.